All the shadows, they comfort me And they remind me of what it used to be I used to watch a line come to me Before you crawled into these cotton sheets Right here with me Right here with me, right here with me. How y'all doing, College Station? So, so like, so first of all, like, yo, he like, what did I say? My bad, I fucked up. I'm just gonna say mic check. Can I just say mic check? Congratulations, okay. So, um, first of all, you ain't shit, because you tried to give me that, like, glowing intro after he did that ridiculous-ass poem, and I had to follow that. Like, first of all, fuck that. Um, so I like to sing at the beginning of all of my features, because I like to, like, lower expectations, so then I can, like, surpass them. So, like, that's, that's generally the thing. So the first poem I'm going to do for y'all, um, I'm really trash at singing. Don't, don't, don't boost my head up. Um, so the first... Uh, no lies. Um, so, so the first poem. <laughs> so the first poem I'm gonna do, I do at the beginning of all of my features because um, I have this thing where I intentionally try to uplift women of color because society and the world tends to shit on them, and then within that, black women of color because y'all get all types of shit. I don't know how y'all make it through the day sometimes. Um, so, and I, when I was writing this, I thought about what it would be like to have a daughter and all the things that she would go through. And so that's where this poem just kind of came from, right? So it just kind of goes, um, everyone thinks that Superwoman is this amazing person. And she is, she is, she is. Now, you didn't see her when she was a temper tantrum tossing toddler when most children scream. You might, I don't know, just might, maybe figuratively. State that the sound is deafening. However, she is actually Superwoman. So the sound was literally deafening. I would try to be strict. I would try grounding. But have you ever tried to ground a black woman that can fly? Never quite works out how you think it's going to. Her teachers would tell me that she has ADHD or attitude issues, but I figured she was just a bored brainiac and they feared a mind that they cannot standardize. The media, the media will try to tell her she has no more to offer the world than the way that she fills out a brightly colored pair of tights. So I had to sit her down and explain that, darling, you crash landed on a broken world. When your skin is powered by the sun and your hair defies gravity, you are more than most mortals can comprehend. Raising children of color has always felt like raising superheroes. As a black man, you must be twice as good to get half as much. As a black woman, you must be adjacent to perfect. You must smile. You must never raise your voice. They will stereotype the supersonic and it bitter and black at best and worst. Resisting arrest society is full of supervillains that only mask their words. Examples include, if she didn't want to die, why didn't she just keep her mouth shut? If she wasn't looking for sex, then why was she drinking? Why was she out so late? Why was her skirt so short? If, if black women are so magical, why are they always complaining about disappearing? In a perfect world, I would have sons that I teach not to be villains. But in this one, I fear I will have daughters that I must teach not to be damsels, but to leap over distress in a single bound. I will erect a Justice League to protect my daughters, make this whole DC universe marvel at the way I turn Avenger, Hulk smash, anything that threatens my children. When raising a woman of steel, you must be an Iron Man. 
they will use euphoria incantations and spells to stifle her strength. You know, you pretty for a black girl. You well spoken for a black girl. You insert stereotype for a black girl. You think black girl magic is powerful. You should see the rabbits that white supremacy and systematic oppression can pull out of a hat. Willie Lynch was a wizarding wonder. Taught us to keep the body strong and the mind weak. Keep telling her she's exotic. It reminds her she's alien. Remind her she's only beautiful and mixed with other. I know nothing of being a woman, so I'll surround her with a village full of Amazons. They'll teach her the art of warfare and womanhood. She'll stand on the shoulders of every Wonder Woman that's ever come before her, ready to save a world that keeps tugging at her cape. She's just as much God as any boy who thinks himself a deity, and she ain't got to share the name Super with any man. So that was a poem. Okay. Um, so, like, when I was writing about uh, what it would be like to have... A daughter, I had to imagine what it was like for me growing up and like all the things that used to irritate the shit out of me. And there was a lot. Like, anybody got any siblings? Don't they get on your fucking nerves? You just wanna cuss them the fuck out? Like, I grew up in a house with five boys, right? Like, ain't there's no girls. Like, I don't know how I survived. Um, so, like, and we used to snap on each other and make fun of each other all the time. And there were certain things that used to like irritate me. And like, when I grew up and went to school, there was a lot of stuff that irritated me. And you know what irritates me from the very trenches of my soul? That too. Um, I love all the ones here. Uh, <laughs> buy my merch. Uh, <laughs> but no, like, the, the, the people that, that irritate me from the trenches of my soul are grammar Nazis. You know the people who are in the absence, I mean absence of an intelligent argument with stifle, I mean sniper, every single misspelling and missing capital letter after a period, two words, convict, clues, I mean context, clues, words are really hard. Ask any three-year-old or Donald Trump. <laughs> I relate a lot to the three-year-olds. The first girl that I ever wrote a love letter to told me you write like a toddler. She laughed as she read every spelling mistake to a chorus of cackling schoolgirls. And ever since that day, I haven't been able to unwrite the reflection. I mean rejection. I mean, I have dyslexia, the disorder that involves being ridiculed. I mean, difficulty learning to read in the right, right. And the way that you're looking at me right now is the reason I hate telling people. Because you look at me like a paragraph without punctuation. Like, maybe you could understand me if you just took the time, but you see me as something in need of revision. School was an exercise in ridicule. I mean repetition. I mean, teachers would rather throw me a ball than teach me how to understand what was going on inside of a book. It always felt like I was being trained to fetch, to sit, to roll over, to good dog. They saw me as the runt of the litter. So they rarely, if ever, called on me, but my classmates never stopped calling me slow, stupid, short bus. I hate feeling stupid, so I learned to crown class. I mean, the class clown. I mean, to make myself a joke before others could. But sometimes the laughter sounds like sit, like roll over, like bad dog, like you're still stupid. Makes me want to chew on the throats of people that invalidate my intellect because I use the wrong your, but I can't because I'm black in America. What is being black in America if not an experiment in editing oneself to be dyslexic? It's to be a grown man who is still afraid to read out loud. It is to see the read, I mean the red and green lines below my words as wounds that I can't bandage with spell check. It is to call autocorrect Judas when I know that my mind is the betrayer. My mind plays tricks on me. I can read my Facebook status 500 times and still not to my catch errors. I mean, error to my not catch. I mean, I need the words to stop crashing into one another. It feels like I'm reading in an earthquake when nothing sits still long enough to make sense. What do you do when every classroom feels like an aftershock? When you relive stumbling through of mice and men in front of a jury of your adolescent tears, I mean, adolescent peers, 
See, school never taught me to feel worthy of love. The best teachers are always the ones that love you, so my mother would turn her embrace into a classroom. She would tell me, boy, you are blessed. You are gifted. Your mind is anointed. But most days, my mind feels like a beautiful curse, like the ugliest of blessings. My mother tells me, boy, regardless of what it is, it's yours. So speak life into it. But speaking life has never been my issue. It's reading and writing it that scares me. Okay, so like, as he said before, like, I have merch. Um, yeah, I alluded to that earlier. So I've got like uh, buttons, like I'm sporting right here. Let's say eat up. Tough. You had to go there. So we'll call them pins then. Can we call them pins? So I got pins. <laughs> Sorry, that's my slam master, y'all. Um, so I've got buttons for I've got buttons for three dollars. Pins. I got pins. Goddamn. I got pins for three dollars. I got postcards for three dollars, and I have a book that I'm selling for ten dollars. I do. I definitely have postcards. Yes. Okay, and so, like, all the proceeds go to, like, a really worthy cause. The cause is my bills because I'm tired of working for other motherfuckers. Um, so we're going to see how that goes. All right, so now that that uh, commercial is over, um, I'm get back into my feature. Right, so, so I talked about being dyslexic, which is, like, interesting because, like, I did all types of shit. Like, I joined the military, which was fucking crazy. I'm still in. Uh, it's still fucking crazy. Uh... Especially with the orange, like, leader as our president. Like, that shit is fucking weird. I can't believe that guy's my actual boss. Um, hey, don't, hey, feel sorry for me. Uh, so, like, I almost got, like, kicked out the military for being dyslexic. I was in, um, I was in my uh, advanced individual training, which is AIT. We speak in, like, acronym all the time. So, like, I was in advanced individual training, right? Um, and... I failed the test, and when I was talking with my uh, instructor about it, he was, I was like, yeah, I'm dyslexic, and he was like, well, like, you, you may need to be able to, like, read some of this shit uh, to, to do your job. It was like, so we're not sure if we're going to be able to keep you in the military, but, like, um, so I went back to my barracks. I made it through, but there was, like, this there's, this, there's this army cadence that they have that I really, really loved, and it got me through a lot during basic training and AIT and, like, everything that I did when I was in the military, and it kind of goes, like, um... I left my home to join the army. The day I left, my mama cried. She didn't know if I, if I would survive. I'm an American soldier. I'm a warrior and a member of a team. I serve a country that does not value my voice. Simply closed captions of me to fit whatever narrative they deem patriotic. America, be so star-spangled, awesome. It's these people wearing skin like mine as crimes in progress. If you never put on a fucking uniform, don't tell me what I'm fighting for. I learned early the ideal of mission first, people always, and soon after the reality of mission first, mission always, you don't know pain, so you know the remorse of survival. Soldiers hot shrapnel the battlefields we never leave under our uniforms and in our memories. Uncle Sam might molest you, but he pays for college at ease. 
Dysfunction is not to be spoken of outside of this family. This uniform, this family, this formation, this family, what's left. And this foxhole stays. And this foxhole like arms, legs, sanity. I will never leave a fallen comrade. I will never accept defeat. I will never quit. I took this oath without reservation or purpose of evasion. Being a soldier means convincing yourself it's all for freedom. Being a soldier means being caught between politics and Wall Street. The military are America's middle children, the forgotten GIs, whose broken bodies and tombstones are receipts for this American way of life. We were manufactured to destroy the enemy at close combat, so when we begin to rust, you will discard us. So we over-lubricate ourselves with whiskey and wine to maintain proper functioning. We can't worry about the war games being played on the home front. While playing politics in foreign sandboxes, having home in your sights will only get you boxed in to a 21-gun salute. Detail! Attention! Hey, hero! Tuck your teeth back into your fucking head! Ain't no smiling at attention. Basic training was the funniest place I was never allowed to laugh. I heard so many jokes. Like, 40 veterans walk into a hospital. They die while waiting for treatment. What do you call a soldier with no legs? Medically discharged. What does America call the veterans that it loves so much? Homeless. What do you call a soldier whose wife cheats on him while he's in a combat zone? A suicide risk. What do you call a convoy caught in an ambush with no help coming? A funeral procession. Did you hear the one about the soldier who died before he ever got to meet his newborn? Why aren't you laughing? Haven't you learned to adapt and overcome yet? Isn't it funny how everyone is thankful for your service until you ask them to make a sacrifice? So the military kind of like runs in my family, right? So I talked about the fact that I have, there's five of us, but I have four brothers. And almost all of us apart from one joined the military, which my grandfather was in the military and my father. Um, me and my father don't always have the best relationship. Um, he actually passed away uh, last year in summer, which was an interesting experience for me because, like, my mom, like, wanted me to talk at the funeral. Because, like, they, they say, like, oh, the poet, like, we're going to get him to, like, say words. And I was like, I don't think y'all necessarily want me to do that. Like, and so, like, it was interesting because people, people keep telling me I need to deal with the anger that I have dry docked in my spirit. Cannons aimed at my father's casket at his funeral. My mother said, I want you to speak. She said, I want you to be honest and appropriate, but honestly, there's never been anything appropriate about my father, so I don't have shit to say. If I did, I would probably say, I don't know when anger first found a home in me, but it's always paid rent on time. So I've never had cause for eviction. The razor bumps on my face are evidence of the fact that you never taught me the building blocks of manhood. Never taught me what it meant to protect a woman's mind and spirit. You blew through their bodies like confetti in a wind tunnel. My ex-girlfriend's voice cracks under the weight of her tears. He tells me, I gave you all. And all you gave me was material for my next men ain't shit poem. She was crying over me, but she was talking to you. You taught me. By today's standards, you would be a fuckboy, a seller of dreams. It's almost funny. I struggled so hard not to be a salesman. I turned into an honest thief. Instead of auctioning off dreams, I would abduct visions of the future. Ironically, the results are the same. Good women terrify me. I'm not sure I'm capable of loving that kind of holy. I wonder if loving a woman like my mother will make me more of you than I already am. My father taught me to be man and mouse simultaneously. 
to fear the backbone in my own voice. Ironically, the part of him that lingers in my mind is the bite in his bark. My brothers and I box each other over broken feelings and bruised promises we never made to one another. We blacken eyes and break ribs, jabbing at shoes. So no, I don't have anything to say. But if I did, I would say, who gave your mistress permission to call me? I don't care if you're fastened into your fucking deathbed. I refuse to listen to the sound of her heartbreak at LTE speeds. Let tenderness endure. I can hear my mother's voice rattling around my cranium, but forgiveness does not move at Verizon speeds. So I proceed to dismiss my mother's villain and my father's toy. Get off my phone. I insulted her. I wanted to injure you. See, my father, he loved me the way his father's absence taught him to. Fearful and distant. He always coupled the words, I love you, with goodbye. Explains why even now those words sound like a warning that the end is coming. My father, whose whereabouts I know not, can you hear me? If you can, I want to say, forgiveness is an architect. Anger is a wrecking crew. Forgiveness is graceful. Anger is clumsy. Forgiveness is strength. Anger is weakness. If I could talk to my father one last time, I would say... I love you, but that has not yet given me the strength to forgive you. Mom, is that appropriate? Okay, so can I read a poem? It's from like my new book and I'm like working on it. Right? Um. So I spoke a little bit like about my father, right? And so when he passed, there was a lot of like unfinished conversations and things that I inherited from him that I was never able to ask about. So in essence, um, my father left me with a lot of Why do we struggle so much with always trying to fill the how come people are so uncomfortable with you know my last relationship was an experiment in silence or the filling of it or in the necessity of it, or in how much of it can fill a house, or a room, or a mouth, or a prayer, or a body. What is a body? We only notice bodies when they aren't. I'm a lot like silence. People love the idea of me, but can rarely stomach the reality. Maybe I'm not like silence. Silence has a crown all its own, and I'm still trying to find the aristocracy in my lineage. Once, I thought I found it traveling the love lines in my palms before I discovered they were just dirt roads to nowhere. Silence is a lover that adores hearing its own name fill and caress every empty space in your body. And ain't that what a good lover does? Makes you forget the empty? Leaves no room for echo? Do you feel heard or whole now?
If you listen hard enough, you can hear the. Okay, so I've got like this this last poem that I'm gonna do, um, and certain themes pop up in my writing a lot, right? So, the theme of children and my father and the military and mental health are all things that show up in like my writing. Um, and so this last poem, I thought about like a lot of things that I inherited from my father, um, and so like on things that I inherited from my father. Or, warnings I will give my children. You will have the ability to spend money that you do not have. Yet, you will argue with Facebook trolls. Do not do this. When you are the moon, you are above barking back at dogs. You will have the ability to make women feel naked, unprotected. Do not add to the reason they felt as though they needed to wear so many layers of protection in the first place. You are predisposed to being a gambling addicted kleptomaniac, always rolling the dice with fragments of souls you stole from people who trusted you in college. One of my friends nicknamed me Puppet Boy. I never deciphered whether this meant I was more Geppetto or Pinocchio. Either way, you will grow tired of every action having strings attached. If you are my child, you will fear things and humans that you do not understand. This does not mean that you should love them any less. You will say things that will appear homophobic, misogynistic, and just plain offensive. You do not get to decide how your words land, so runway them with care. Your flight path shouldn't mayday anyone else out of the sky. Apologize and mean it. Hurting others is not okay. You are not all bad. Most days, you will make your body into a bank vault fortress. You will allow people to withdraw from you without ever making a deposit. Do not keep track of their account balances. You will be happier this way. No matter what you do, please do not become a poet. See, poets and pain seem to be star-crossed lovers. And I pray that you never have the kind of hurt that you can draw from an inkwell. You see, poets spend far too much time falling in love with everything but themselves, which is to say your father is made up of heartbreak, unfinished poetry, and ship's cinder block that wishes itself to be more cloud than concrete translation. I wish I was allowed to be gentle in public, that I didn't have to be so hard always, but on the upside, this concrete love will make you sturdy enough to build on. Anger will probably be your cornerstone. Do not be afraid to rebuild using only love as a foundation. Be more than broken promises in Monday mornings on mornings when your bedroom feels like a funeral parlor. Remind yourself you can die when you've done all the living you can. Wear your alive like it's going out of style. Wear it like if you miss a moment, you won't get it back, my darling. I'm your father, and therefore I am required to love you. Lucky for the both of us, I like you. And you're lovable, but even so, I love you. Just know I love you. 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 I keep saying I love you because this world, this world will make you forget that you are worthy of love. So again, I love you. I love you so much that I pray. You take after your mother. By time? I can do one more. Okay. So, so one more. <laughs> okay, so like, 
I've talked about like everything apart from like relationships, right? So I have this last poem and it's like one of my favorite poems to do because I don't get to slam it often, but it's like really, really interesting to me. And I wrote it a long time ago about a friend that I have. Um, and she's an amazing person. Like every day she does a balancing act. She walks a fine line in the midst of a war zone and what a walk it is, a mixture of a John Coltrane solo and a Houston skyline boxing with a lightning storm, sunrise smile painted from ear to ear while she tries not to get caught in a crossfire between her heart and her head. You see, I've seen how this battle plays out and more often than not, in the case of the unstoppable force meets the immovable object, the head will not allow the heart to move it, but regardless of the mass of casualties and the death toll, there was something about the way she pirouettes through this minefield of mistrust, heartbreak, and hope that makes me want to take a flying leap into our arms. You see, when I know what I want, I have a tendency to throw myself into the eye of the storm, whether it's a drizzle or a downpour, but we didn't come here to talk about me. We're here because there is an ocean floor of a woman with a symphony of phoenix wings for legs, shotgun mouth, an Excalibur tongue that cuts and slashes through men unworthy of her company, yet wears the weight of her dead relationships like camouflage. You can't quite see them, but you know that they're there. If I could write her ex-boyfriend a letter, it would read, Dear boy, dear Dear, dear ex-lover of my future wife, I want to thank you for mistreating God's gift to Adam. I want to thank you for taking her to her breaking point so she will appreciate the way I glue her back together when I wrap my arms around her. I want to thank you for never fucking her properly. Matter of fact, I want to thank you for giving her a first-class education and ain't shit nigga. And yeah, I mean that shit. Um, so much that I would do for her, like, wipe away her tears with these unholy hands, but I don't get to decide the ever after to this fairy tale. I just know that she deserves a happy one, one where her husband makes love to her like the sun is about to fall from the sky. But I'm not the architect in charge of designing the ever after to this fairy tale, but I pray, I pray that it starts with her lips meeting mine on the corner of Breathless Boulevard and Forever Avenue until we are both breathless and weightless, suspended above everything that would keep us earthbound. But like I said, I don't get to design the ever after to this fairy tale. I just pray she includes one that includes my presence. Thank you. And that concludes the Mic Check Podcast. Check us out every Sunday at Revolution Cafe and Bar at 8.30. Also, check us out on SoundCloud or iTunes and YouTube. You can find us on all of your favorite social media at Mic Check Poetry. I was Jonathan Miller. Enjoy the rest of your week.